Hey everybody, welcome to Sweet Morgan Life Live. Today we're going to explore the proposition that Jesus wants us to seek the deeper meaning of his words. Not just that we do it as a hobby or that Swedenborg pushed us in that direction, but that Jesus Christ is actually saying, hey, hey, read between the lines a little bit here. My name is Curtis Childs. I'll be your host uh, of this at-home edition of Swedenborg and Life Live. Here with me on one of these sides is Dr. Jonathan Rose. How are you, Jonathan? Hey, Curtis. Doing great. Good. Thanks for taking the time to join me uh, for this. Like and subscribe, everybody. You gotta, you got to be aware of what we're putting out when we're putting it out. That's a great way to do it. Click the bell if you don't already have those notifications enabled. And it's because it's part of the, the loop that we build here. You know, we when we do these shows, these Sweden Morgan Life Live shows, we don't just make them up based on what we want to say. We take your questions and then explore them because we want to know what's on your mind. So you knowing what we're putting out lets you ask those questions and then you make this show. Because we don't just do this show about stuff we want to talk about. We do it about what you want to talk about. Except today. <laughs> today <laughs> we are doing... This, this show is not necessarily based on a particular question of the audience, but it's such a crucial topic. You have to have this in place really to explore a lot of what Swedenborg talks about and a lot of the stuff that you all are asking about. So we felt like we needed to give a good exploration of this topic. We need to um, get, get the principle of the inner meaning of Jesus's words and of the Bible sorted out before we can go and do more shows about the internal meaning of stuff, which is often what your questions are about. So, Jonathan, are you willing to do this with me? I'm so excited about it, Curtis. I, I can't wait. <laughs> so we wrote our own question to ourselves. That's the cla the hallmark of a show that maybe doesn't have very much of an audience <laughs> to say, what's everyone's question? Okay, we'll, we'll ask ourselves a question. Yeah. Okay. You've got well, a good one. <laughs> the, question. the question stands on its own merits. Does anything in the Bible indicate that there are deeper meanings to Jesus's teachings. Ah, uh, so great. Is this something, of course, Swedenborg talks about it, but is this something that you, is the text a little self-referential there? Like, can you get the, get the sense that yes, there is something more there just by looking at Jesus, Jesus's teachings themselves. So that's it's what such we're an going. Important, it's such an important question because um, like if, the Bible doesn't indicate that there's a deeper level. What is Swedenborg going on about? Is he just making it up? Or if the Bible does indicate in certain ways that there's, there's some deeper content to it, uh, why are there so many people who think it's just to be taken literally at face value? You know, yeah. And there better be something because there's a lot of stuff, even within the teachings of Jesus, which are some of the more... Uh, photogenic parts of the Bible, <laughs> right? Even there, there's a lot of stuff that just is puzzling or bizarre. How how could you take this literally? So that's our yeah. goal. We're trained on that, but we've got to start to to get the answer to that. We've got to start by looking inside of ourselves. So we are going to move on now to our icebreaker. Okay, so you're about to see us answer a question, but we'd love to know what's your answer to it as well. There are comments below this video. Please take a chance. Leave leave your thoughts in there. You know, write it down now. Compare it to how, how we uh, answer it now. And do our answers change as we move through, or do they are they upgraded mm. or enhanced as we move through the content of the show today? So the question is, is there a Bible story or section in which you can feel that it doesn't make sense to take it literally? Mm. Or, or do you find that other same situation in other faith scriptures? Whatever you're going to for your reference, is there a part of the Bible where you just feel like, okay, something's got to give here? The the one that jumps to mind for me, Curtis, is the, um, I remember doing a Bible study on this, the uh, Spirit and Life Bible study. Uh, there's there's a passage that talks that in which people are commanded not only to eat horses, but also to eat chariots. And to me, that was sort of a high point of like, okay, come on. You know, I mean, eating horses is kind of horrifying, but 
eating chariots is just, you know, anatomically impossible. So yeah, what is going on there? What are you talking about? Oh, I think what it's talking about is there's all these biodegradable materials people are starting to come up with. I think we can make <laughs> the of the future. You're right. It is puzzling and, and just begs for some kind of symbolism. And even so, so from the bizarre, even into the, the immoral, it seems to be that there are yeah. commands from God to slaughter people uh, of all ages and all levels of helplessness. Even commands from God to slaughter an army of capable soldiers seems like it's against what God should be. What, how do you square that with the idea of a, an omnipotent, loving God who's just as much the God of every individual person? So there, there's, to me, yeah, there's there's the bizarrity and the non non sequitur nature of some biblical stuff, but also that at times it just seems like if this is literally how it goes, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how hyped up I am about God as a as a deity, right? If memory serves, there are a couple of instances where. There's a specific injunction. Don't just kill the men. You've got to kill the women and the children and all the animals. You know, that that kind of thing. It's like, wow, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The animals? Like what what (laughs) so how how is this and not just can you eke it out that it's not monstrous, but how is that how is that the divine plan? Okay, like you're God, you've got all the love in the world, all the wisdom in the world. Show me what you Mm. got anybody could have given that order you know yeah and, right and, and it's, it's yeah does that does that reflect compassion divine compassion and wisdom and understanding yeah where is where is god in that yeah that if that is love and wisdom and compassion what's the difference between that and evil it's just all the same thing so yes we have the stakes are high we got to figure this out right that's right we got to. okay we've got that in mind though we're starting to we're starting to get our thoughts trained away from the cares of the world and into the cares of the spirit. So let's take that now into our setup. So you can't really explore Swedenborg's material, which we do on this channel, for too long without coming across his, this idea that there that sacred scripture, the Bible in particular, is written in this language that he called correspondences or this style of writing where everything that's going on is a container. The, the earthly narrative is a container for a higher spiritual truths mm. that lie within it. And it could be that if you're somebody who's, who's familiar with the Bible, you feel like, well, what's he doing? He's just throwing something new in there. But I would contend that, that that's not that new for Swedenborg to say there's an internal sense to scripture and the words of Jesus. The Bible says the same thing. So let's do our own miniature Bible study here. Can you give us some examples, Jonathan, of Jesus, the the Gospels themselves, talking about there being some sort of internal sense? There's actually, the the, the more you look, there there are a lot of these, but a couple that come to mind are um, in Matthew 13. uh, There's one parable after another, one parable after another, and a parable meaning a, a kind of a story, maybe a made-up story or something that that teaches some lesson kind of thing. And Matthew 13, verse 34, after all these parables, says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, do you mean, because I thought you were being pretty straight up sometimes when you said, you know, this or that. And so you mean that was a parable too? And yet it, it says, it's pretty emphatic. He didn't say anything without using a parable. Right. Um, and something that's just coming to me now is that he uses parables uh, at a much greater clip than you generally hear public figures using them today. <laughs> True. There's not a lot of parables going on, but even, I believe, even in the record of the New Testament, when the, all the scribes and Pharisees are challenging him, they're not throwing their own parables out. It's not just that, oh, this is how you talk about that, things at the time. That's how they all talked back then or something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and sometimes he'll have seven or eight in a row. Um, yeah. And so yeah. why is he doing that? And it's so fascinating that it says, didn't, didn't say anything without using a parable. Yeah. 
And another one that comes to mind is in John chapter 16, which is a fabulous chapter for this kind of stuff. And, and he says straight up there, Jesus says, though I have been speaking figuratively, Okay, thank you for making that plain. <laughs> you know, yeah, so wait a minute. Everything now, there's only 21 chapters in John, and here we are in chapter 16 out of 21, and he's saying everything up until now has been figurative. And he says, though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. Now that's pretty seems pretty straight up. Yeah. You know, uh, to, to just say, I'm speaking to you figuratively right now, but the day will come when I can be more direct. Uh, it's just not now. And you've got, you ha hello, we can't just leave that on the cutting room floor. If Jesus is saying it, and you know, like it or not, a lot of the world revolves around Jesus. I and mean, Christianity is, has had yeah. a huge impact. And the, the words that Jesus spoke are, yeah. are cited all the time as you know, everything from sort of this is uh, outlining moral guidelines to actually like international policy. There's a lot riding on the words of Jesus. And, but right here he says, Hey, all the way up till now, I haven't, I've just been talking figuratively and I haven't ever heard of any meaningful movement that says, well, everything before that point in John, we don't take literally <laughs> it, that, that being one bit of it. But then he never comes out later and says, now I'm talking literally, and you can't say that he's <laughs> talking about the book of Revelation, because have you read that thing? That is the least plain language thing in the world. Oh, so bizarre. Yeah. So that, Absolutely. Like, where is, where is this literal talking that, that we're supposed to be getting to? So. Yeah, that's, that's right. And yet it does beg some questions that I hope we have a chance to dig into in this show of... Uh, if that's not what he's doing, then how should we view what he actually said, just the literal, you know, meaning of what he said? I, I mean, right. it, it just raises a lot of interesting questions. And how do you know what the meaning is and, and all that? And uh, there's, there's a chapter uh, that we could dig into if you want, um, sure. which is John chapter 6, where there's quite a debate between uh, Jesus and a bunch of people about, um, and again, it, it's purportedly about events that happened long ago. But the way Swedenborg reads it, it's also about issues in our own minds. And this is part of what I love about how Swedenborg explains the inner meaning, is that when you really dig into it, it's about stuff that's going on in your own headspace, you know? Which, and that hits very close to how that's not 2000 years ago, a different culture and a different language. That, that's right now, right here. And that's the power of, of the inner sense in the first place is that it takes this stuff. It seems not only everything we've been complaining about up till now, but it's, it seems verging on irrelevant that you're just talking about how Jesus interacted with these few people so long ago. But if there is this message within it that is universal in all it's holographic that in all time and all space to any person, this is speaking a truth to you about your life. Then that, that sounds to me a little bit about like, Oh, this is Jesus speaking plainly. You know, once you understand the inner meaning of his words, so the time he's talking about is when you get, you know, what, what he's really talking about. So, so yeah, um, the, the yeah. thing that seems to be illustrated in this particular story is, that applies to all of us is that this very internal sense that we're talking about uh, grasping that can be really difficult. We have parts of ourselves that are hardwired to, to not, uh, to take things very literally and be almost averse to looking for what's deeper within them. So we can be looking for right. these characters in ourselves as well. Yeah. The issues that are, that are concern us are, uh, external concern our outer selves our external in nature just about you know food and survival and and, and whatever and so we don't want to hear about abstractions or, or something you know that's a part of ourselves it just doesn't want to hear that right. and so for some background on this john 6 it kind of highlights the fact that there were two types of followers that jesus had at that time there was one group who had followed jesus for and i don't mean as a group but there was just 
you know, a lot of people. He, he made a big splash. And so there were, there were thousands of people who followed Jesus for a while, but later lost interest and, and walked away, as opposed to another group, a smaller group we gather, of what you might call disciples or even the apostles, you know, who chose to stick with Jesus through, through thick and thin. And that's important to understanding what we're about to get into here. And in an example of that very same inner sense, immediate psychological relevance that we were just talking about, we just did a show called The Twelve Disciples in Us. And we talked about how those people that you hear about in the story are these correspondent correspondential representatives of qualities in us that stay committed to following the Lord, even when it's hard and confu- or confusing as it is th- through life's ups and downs. But the disciples here, mm-hmm. the, the group that left Jesus, that represents in us uh, the, the part of you that just, you know, isn't buying it, isn't interested. I know that when I go and I'm trying to follow what I think is, oh, this is the path, this is the truth. I'm following the true path. There's states that I get in that I'm just, uh, I barely even can think about that stuff. I don't know if it's real. It's not practical. Or, or I'm just focused on immediate right. gratification. <laughs> That's the other disciples that, that can get into it for a while, but like I couldn't stay like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so true. It, like it doesn't help you with your taxes. It doesn't put food on the table. What <laughs> you know, it's like how, right. how is it relevant? Or, or it doesn't, um, doesn't uh, do anything for my reputation or do anything for my sense of power or superiority or whatever else is uh, ego driven stuff. Love life or or, or whatever. Yeah, that's right. It's just like, how helpful is it? Right. Um, So if we dig into this John chapter six, um, uh, it makes this interesting point that Jesus had been doing so many powerful miracles, public, amazing miracles that a lot of people were following him because of that. I mean, that's what they were doing there. In John 6, verse 2, this comes up right at the beginning of the chapter. It says, a large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. What they mean by the signs is he was healing people who were sick or demon-possessed, you know, so on. He was um, cleansing the lepers and so on. And so people saw that and they thought, okay, um, yeah, this, there's some power here. I'm interested because maybe he can fix my worldly problems, you know? And I'm not saying that it's not about that, but it seems like that's what their motivation was to be there. And then that was followed immediately by another very powerful thing known as the feeding the 5,000 where there was 5,000 men, that's the way they saw things in that kind of distorted culture back then. They counted the men and then, oh yes, there were some women and children with those men. You know, so maybe it was 12, 15,000 people, but a huge crowd. Imagine trying to feed that many people and they had five loaves and two fish. There's variations on the story in different places and so on. But uh, they take this small amount of food, Jesus prays and, and they, they break it and they hand it out and everybody's fed, and they have 12 baskets left over. And this is important background for, for what we're about to read. Well, and then it, then it moves into where we start to see this struggle that we were foreshadowing earlier between the external self and the internal self, and sort of external mm. goals and internal goals. Because in John six fifteen, it says, When Jesus realized they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. I forget about that part where they tried to make him king. You know? <laughs> so this, but it's interesting. He that's not what he wanted, right? So it seems strange because here are people who are trying to do something which they probably think is about the nicest thing they can do for you. Yeah, <laughs> what a compliment! I'm going to make you the king, and isn't Jesus trying to to lead lead people and, and change things? But he's taking dramatic action here to say, no, you're talking, what you think the king is going to do uh, probably is it's going to, you you think I'm going to go and exercise military might conquer your physical enemies, get you the world that you want. I, 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 not that I don't care about that, but I'm leading you to something higher than that. And and Mm. it's not through this route, which again, this paradox of that these people wanted to take him and make him king and he got himself out of it. 
people wanted to go crucify him and he let it happen, you know? So, yeah, that- it's weird. And, and so as, so uh, seeing all these miracles is, is exactly what resulted in this royalty move on their part, you know, like, okay, you're the one great. Right. We want you to rule us. Right. But so he's doing these miracles, but, but is, is leading towards a goal that people don't seem to be able to grasp here. So next we got the very famous episode where the disciples are crossing the sea in the boat. They encounter a storm. Jesus walked to them on the water, uh, the crowds who, so if you're trying to shake off people because they're overawed by the miracles you've done, walking on the water didn't help at that particular point. I'm telling you, that's one of his greatest hits, by the way. Right. Um, that's right. Everybody knows that one. <laughs> the crowds are impressed by miracles. Uh, they're looking for Jesus. They finally find him in a place called Capernaum. That's right. And, and here we really get into it. And so here's Jesus in an exchange with these people. He's doing all these powerful things, but they're misreading it. And notice how people keep focusing on external issues while Jesus keeps trying to get them to think more deeply. It's a, it's an interesting exchange. Well, this so is, let me just totally shining. A, uh, I was going to say shining a magnifying glass, but I don't know if that's how those, things work. <laughs> but this, this is a prime example of this struggle between the outer and inner. This is, this is it embodied here. Yeah. So let me read at some length from John six. Let's, let's dig into this now. Jesus answered them and we can comment, you know, as we go kind of thing, but uh, Jesus answered them. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The, the, the bread really hit home. Like, wow, there's food in this for me, you know? Yeah, there's free food. Yeah, free food. I know. <laughs> it works every time. He advises them, do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Well, wait, what what is he? So he's trying to, okay, take your interest in food. Now try to get some better food that has something to do with eternal life. So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us then so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Now, uh, some people, if you haven't read the Old Testament story, may not realize there was the whole thing with the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness where they were starving and God gave them this kind of divine bread from heaven that would just appear on the ground every morning and they would gather it up and that kept them alive. And so these people are saying, those are our ancestors. Our ancestors ate that manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So, Okay, bread from heaven, and I think they're thinking of heaven there as just like the physical sky, like it just came down like dew, it says. Then Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. Moses was their leader then. But it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. And I think he's talking about something other than bread. And heaven, he means heaven, heaven, not the sky. I, yeah, I, I get the sense we're not talking about, well, you thought that bread was good. This bread is like perfectly moist. It breaks just right. <laughs> this is the bread from heaven. When he said the true bread from heaven, we're starting to turn a corner where we're not talking about bread, but instead of giving it a new name, like the true goodness of life, right. he's referring to it as bread. Yeah, he uses that word. He's actually trying to, it seems like he's trying to drag that word up to a higher meaning, right? It's very, he doesn't say, oh, forget about bread. What you need, need to be talking about is love. Or he, he doesn't say that. He says, he's talking still in terms of bread. Right. And then he says, astonishing thing, for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. I mean, in the ancient world, starvation was constantly an issue. You'd have a famine or whatever, you know, so like, but they're still, don't you think, Curtis, I I think they're still thinking this is physical bread that they're going to eat. Right. Right. Give us this bread. Uh, Okay. Wherever it comes from, I don't care. I just feed me. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Okay. Now we just got very weird there. (laughs) He's bread is bread. He's a human being. What's he talking about? 
I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. They might think, well, I'm already here. I'm right here in front of you. You know, when you you come to me, whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For I have come down from heaven. You have? Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I've come down from heaven? You know, like, we, we know your parents. That's not where you came from. Yeah. It's, so this fascinating, it, I, I think it's a great point you made, that he does, he wants to hang on to these words about eating and drinking. And he wants to drag them up into mm. some kind of higher meaning. Why is he operating in this way? It's a particular teaching style. You know, if he had had a public speaking coach, would they have taken issue with it to say, okay, go easy right. on the parables. So why is he doing this? One clue, one, one lay, one, um, so hidden cause or, or expanded, we can expand our field of vision to see some of the causes that go into the behavior of Jesus, according to Swedenborg is that the words that Jesus was saying as Jesus came to be this crucial uniter of, mm. of the world, like the, the supply chain in the human race had broken down the spiritual food, the, the bread of life, the water of life. We couldn't get it anymore on earth. And the human race was about to be annihilated because of it. Jesus is connecting heaven and earth, re- restoring that life sustaining connection. And to be doing that, he was sure he was talking to the people that were in front of him. God is always talking to everyone, but he's at the same time talking to angels and spirits and the people on earth all at once. That the message, part of what makes that message divine is that it is endures for all time to all people if you're on the other side or you're on this mm-hmm. side. And the only way you can do that is through the language of correspondences. So he can say something that's just as true for the people in front of him as it is for angels in the highest heaven the people who will come thousands of years later, this people who will be spirits thousands of years later. It's mind-boggling to me to think of him probably having at least those two audiences in real time. And then, as you say, there, there's a divine soul within him that transcends time and space and, and that, you know, there's a much bigger audience and he cares about the people who are there physically in the flesh in front of him. But right. there's a much bigger group he's talking to and a very complex three-dimensional chess kind of thing that he's doing to communicate to all these people at once. Because otherwise, as you say, to communicate, to you try to bend the meaning of these words like that is is risky. Why not start over again with a new word? Yeah. You know, don't don't say bread, say say something else. You know, it's it's a risky move, but because that helps to connect. If he can get the angels and the people on the same page, that's what we're looking for, you know, heaven on earth, right? Yeah, and it's actually just as much a loving thing to the people in front of him. You might think, okay, well, he's kind of putting them on the shelf so that he can talk to all these other people or he's splitting his attention and not really serving anyone. But he is doing the best thing for the people in front of him because teaching them correspondences and getting them to think of love and truth as essential to them as bread and water are, that is the best thing for their spirits. That is the best thing for what's going to last with them, that he is thinking about their eternal welfare and the connection he's trying to make with heaven is for their sake, like it's for everyone's sake. So God is always right at the nexus of what love is. Swedenborg talks about the, hmm. the use of correspondences in a sequence of heaven. Sorry, were you going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say that that, uh, it, it's just um, uh, mind-boggling to me uh, to think of that. Uh, like if you picture people who were there hearing that, you know, the disciples wrote these words down decades later, they could still remember what he said. You know, I imagine for people who are there, it's very much like a meal. He was giving them a meal in real time and they were still digesting it 20 years later. Right. You know, uh, no one ever spoke like this. Yeah, so cool. Secrets of, of Heaven, um, Swedenborg writes in 3652 that this, the, in talking about the use of correspondences, this made it possible. What's the point of all this? What's the end in, in that effect? This made it possible for the word to be written in such a way that people reading it on earth could grasp it 
and the angels present with them, we each have angels with us, could truly understand it. The Lord spoke hmm. in the same way for the same reason. So Jesus, had it been otherwise, the message would not have been suited for the grasp of readers, especially at that time, or to the comprehension of angels. People would not have accepted it, and the angels would not have understood it. <laughs> that would have been a double fail. Yeah, so. Yeah, right. We're moving yeah. as a unit. You can't separate human race from angels. You have to give them something that unites them. And this was something that. that our earthly minds can grab onto, and they can get, and they can remember. And the angelic minds connected to ours can get the truth out of it, and it can be used as this bridge to pull us up into the higher meaning. Mm. So Jesus is continually presenting them with language that they can't make sense if it's taken literally, which yes. is encouraging them to be willing to understand more deeply. He's saying, I'm over here. It's basically, you've got to walk on the water to get to me. I'm here right. talking about how I'm the bread of heaven. If you want to get here, you're going to have to start thinking in this divine correspondential way. So let's let's focus in a little bit on it. this physical eating and uh, on eating and drinking. Okay. Why is he focusing on this? And, and what do, are they a symbol of or correspondence of? Well, if you think about physical eating and drinking, are it what does it do? It's taking in and absorbing substances that then fuel our bodies and actions. So it's turn taking something edible, turning it into actions. If we're thinking about right, it that's what we do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, right. Right. Thinking about it spiritually, the correspondences of bread, food, and flesh all have to do with goodness. Water, wine, and blood all have to do with truth. And to eat and drink those things is to absorb into our hearts and minds and let it fuel our actions and lives, which is so cool because, yes, there is goodness and, yes, there is truth, but it's one thing to hold it in your hand and understand it. It's another thing to have not just love it, but have it be what drives you to act on a daily basis. That's eating the bread of life. Wow. And that's getting actual energy out of that in order to be loving or forgiving of other people or, or whatever is needed. I, I, I love that. And that fits very well with the where John 6 goes after this. Um, you know, why, why don't I continue reading in the chapter? What do you think? Great. So Jesus said, so, <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting conversation. Okay, here, here's the next card he plays. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread, this he just said he's the bread. This bread, they're supposed to eat this bread, will yeah. live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay, that really caused a storm. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said, so he's, he's really stretching the whole thing, talking about life and death and eating and... Uh, uh, right. They're just baffled. So Jesus said to them, and this is all in the literal meaning of Scripture. That's what we're reading right here. Yeah. You know? So Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, okay, here we go. Now we're going into seventh gear. <laughs> yeah. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. So he's, he really pulled out all the stops there. He, he's really pushing it hard. Yeah. And people's minds are absolutely blown. They, they don't know what to make of, of what he's saying. But when you start to understand the, the correspondences, it all makes sense. So the scripture continues. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. So they're all hearing him in the synagogue. When many of his disciples, these were people who've been following 
him around, heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? And then listen to what he says. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Now, I, I love that passage. And um, what amazes me about it is that he just said, you have to eat my flesh or else you have no life in you. And then here he says, the flesh is useless. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like crying out for like, work with me, people. You know, I'm not talking about flesh the way you understand it. I'm saying something else. It's the spirit that gives life. The flesh, don't get hung up on that. People are getting all hung up on the body. Like, really? You know, right. that's not what we're talking about here. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Because of this, and I, you pointed out and something I talked about in the Bible study years ago, is it struck me that none of the group sort of rushes forward and starts biting him like a zombie movie or something. Uh, yeah. You know, they understand that, well, he doesn't, he doesn't mean that. I don't know what he does mean, but obviously he doesn't mean physically taking your, you know, teeth and biting him. Or well, something. yeah, even as we're about to see in the, because you'll see that, it, you know, as this sentence continues, the disciples, the, this is the group of disciples that leaves. This is right. sort of sets them off there. We're out of here. But some of them do stay. But even the ones who do stay don't say, okay, you know, reach out your hand and, and I'll try to bite you. Because no. everybody knows. Right. We don't know what it means, but we know what it doesn't mean. We know what it doesn't mean. What it's said to do is the one thing we know we're not supposed to do. But this is such, just looking at this text here, this is such a powerful illustration of the, the inner outer dynamic because so Jesus you know even leaving behind the words he said right there he's saying something that has that is saying that is teaching that what is of the spirit is primary over what is of the the flesh and and not even just physical, but think of the lower stuff the, the ego driven the negative the superficial he's saying what's right. spiritual is more important than the things that you you crave after in that state there's a part of his mind I mean, a part of all of our minds symbolized by this part of the crowd that says, you know, what, I don't get it. That, that, no, that doesn't make any sense. And he said, he's saying, look, it's the spirit that, that gives life. The flesh is useless. There's so many states that we go through where we feel like this, where these teachings are pointing me is not something that brings me to life. I don't believe that's really the answer to life. Yeah, that's right. But there's we go through states. Right, this part of us that stays. So yeah, go go ahead and we feel yeah. like uh, uh, the 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 flesh is what gives me life. The spirit is useless. You know how many times yeah. have you have you felt that? Like, right. what are you talking about? That isn't even anything. You know, life right. after death, or you know, what happened to your deceased loved ones, or something. Like that. That's not, not anything. Um, yeah, and so look at what happens with that group that we've been talking about. It, the, the scripture continues, because of this, many of his disciples, many of them, turned back and no longer went about with him. A lot of them just said, okay, I'm, I'm out. I, I'm sorry. You said that. I, you know, I'm, I'm done. And Jesus turns to the 12. You know, he picked out 12 particular disciples or apostles who were with him. And he asked them this kind of I don't know. The tone of this question is kind of amazing to me. Do you also wish to go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? <laughs> you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? So I love Peter's answer because it's like, oh, we're thinking about it for sure. But you're the only game in town. You know, they've gotten to the point of just realizing, well, I'm not going to follow the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the, you know, the temple leaders. Like, uh, this, this is better teaching than that. So I think we're we're stuck with it. I I, I don't know what it does mean, but but uh, you have the words of eternal life. So And so that's a part of us that is uh, hangs in there. 
we, we may not understand, we may not know where this is going, but we say, look, I'm in, you're the Holy One of God. Uh, I, I'm in, you, you could say anything, I, I'm still here. So let's take those, the 12 disciples and us, the part of us that is willing to follow Jesus into a deeper meaning to the words and into the, th the things that that kind of meaning points to. And let's explore now some of the mechanics of the external and internal sense to the words that Swedenborg describes in our section, Three Seeds. Okay, how do we take what we've learned? How do we take the, the neighborhood we've parked our minds in and use that location to learn more about not just that there is a deeper meaning, but the importance of that deeper meaning, why it's there, what it does, then how mm. it is constructed. So the first seed has to do with this idea that Jesus is called the word made flesh. Isn't that, don't they say that about him in the Bible? And it does. And right. That that's fair enough. John and chapter one. Yeah, that's right. That's that's he spoke in that's these parables that we already established. The written word also speaks in parable, which connects the outer levels uh, and the inner levels. And this so that's kind of another reason why, why he did what he was doing, why he spoke the way he did, was that he was the embodiment of the word, and that's what the Old Testament did. Yeah. He's just, he's just following the Old Testament's lead. He, he is walking the talk. like He is a living ontological example of what the word is. So this mm. is from Swedenborg's book, Sacred Scripture. We'll read some from three to four and then some from 17. The style of the word is the divine style itself. And no other style, however sublime and excellent it may appear to be, can be compared with it. And that's important that he makes that note because probably when I read the first part of that sentence, some people are saying, come on, the Bible, the divine style, you're going to put that up against Shakespeare or... Uh, Harry Potter and tell me that it's better than that. Because there's so much writing throughout history that just seems to be miles ahead of the way the Bible, the Bible seems yeah, it's, 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 it's bronze age, it's bronze age literature uh, written by barely educated people. You know, it's like, where's, uh, yeah. where's your character development? Where's your poetry? You know, where's your <laughs> cohesion? But Swedenborg is saying, I, I know that you can have those objections, but when you understand why it was written this way, you'll understand that this is a divine style. We're going to hear what that is right here. It is characteristic of the word style that there is something holy in every statement, even in every word, even at times in the letters themselves. So the word unites us to the Lord and opens heaven to free people from any doubt that this is the nature of the word. The Lord has revealed to me an inner meaning of the word, a meaning that is essentially spiritual and that dwells within the outer meaning, which is earthly, the way a soul dwells within a body. So what's that, the that doesn't take long to say, but that's what a mind-boggling statement when you really get inside that. Right. The idea of something spiritual that's living in something earthly, it's, it's mind-boggling. So what's the point uh, of the whole Swedenborg experience? To free people from any doubt that this is the nature of the word, right? Yes. That's what we're getting at. So, uh, which is earthly, a huge um, part of his mission, huge part of his mission, right? It is primarily the spiritual meaning that makes the word spiritual, not only for us, but for angels as well. So by means of this meaning, the word is in communication with the heavens. Hmm. We, we did a show called what the Bible is. And we dug in there. It's even beyond the teaching text. It's really a piece of technology. It does a tangible infrastructure service for the human race it, it literally connects the yeah. world to heaven that's right we can tell from the lord's parables which have a spiritual meaning in their very words that when he was in the world he spoke in correspondences that is he was speaking in spiritual terms when he was naming earthly things <laughs> he was speaking in spiritual terms when he was naming earthly things that's a great way to put it i, I really like that yeah so it's like I'm going to speak in terms of a car and a driveway and a house, but I'm not talking about a car or a driveway or a house. You know, I, I right. mean something different from every well, single element that I'm talking about. 
that's that's a great point. I want to expand on that in just a second. Let me get this last line out of here. <laughs> no, yeah, go for it. Last line. We can see from this that the Lord spoke in pure correspondences, and this is because he was speaking the, from the divine nature that was within him and that was, was his own. That's why the Lord said that his words were spirit and were life. But the point mm -hmm. that you make, Jonathan, of I'm going to speak in terms of things, use those the things we're accustomed to here, the things that we know, mm. uh, horses, roads, trees, water, the stuff that you have experience with, I am using that as the building blocks of a spiritual language because each of those things, you understand them at a, a meaning level. You know, you when you hear water, you're constantly learning what water is. You're learning the properties of it. As we study it scientifically, we're knowing more and more. We, Our picture of water is filling out more and more and more. And so when he talks about water, the meaning of water, that, that our understanding of it is what's activated in our minds. And so he's able to link together these different, not like go beyond words to link together these the meanings behind these phenomena. And from that, use those meanings in a certain way to teach us about something we haven't experienced in a, such a tangible way. It's a very, it's actually a very cool system. It's very cool. Yeah. And using just things that everybody, you know, sheep and grapes and, you know, stuff that most, most people have some concept of or, right. uh, yeah, uh, that's just amazing. Uh, and another function that Swedenborg says, so you, you, you might say, well, why have, a literal meaning at all, you know, like why do that huge effort to try to get that earthly piece in there? Why yeah. not just be spiritual and say it straight up? And uh, one of Swedenborg's answers to this, and we're reading another uh, quote from um, his book, Sacred Scripture, which talks all about this. It's all about the word, uh, is that the literal text serves as a foundation and a container so here's what he says about that. This is sacred scripture number 20 and 33, different excerpts. Absolutely everything in the physical world corresponds to something spiritual, as does absolutely everything in the human body. However, the nature of this correspondence has been unknown until the present time, even though it was common knowledge in ancient times. For the people who lived in those times, the knowledge of how things correspond to each other was the very essence of knowledge. This knowledge was so universal that it governed the writing of all their scrolls and books. I think he's not just talking about the, you know, the, the biblical texts, but uh, things like the Iliad and the Odyssey. Right. And since divine things become manifest in this world by means of correspondences, the word was written entirely by means of them. That's why the Lord, speaking as he did from his divine nature, spoke in correspondences, since in the physical world, whatever comes from the divine nature clothes itself in things that correspond to divine realities and that therefore conceal in their embrace the divine realities that we call heavenly and spiritual. Without its literal meaning, the word would be like a palace without a foundation. The word without its literal meaning would be like a human body without, just try to picture this if you will, without the coverings called layers of skin and without the structural supports called bones, and if memory serves, the passage goes on to say that all your internal organs would, would spill out. You know, it, it's serving a very important function to have this dual nature in Scripture. It's not that you should just sort of leave behind that literal meaning. It's a foundation, and it's a container for what lies inside it. And what, what you've just described there is a tangible demonstration of the principle we were mentioning just prior to that quote, where that true? You're, yeah. you're taking things we understand and using them to get us to understand a <laughs> spiritual thing that we couldn't on its own. Because right there, you're talking about a literal and an internal sense of scripture. And it's, what, what do you talk, how do they interact? <laughs> Why do you need, still need the literal thing? But we understand the body and we get, oh yeah, no skins, no bone, no, no skin, no bones. Yeah. That. You can be a jellyfish or something. Yeah, right. We can understand the role that bones play. We can understand the role that skin plays. And so from that, oh, okay, I can get how this outer, rougher, more, like less, in the case of bones, more rigid, less uh, less living on a you know cell, cell by cell basis. 
but mm. essential in their own way and that you couldn't just have the higher things because they have no they have no scaffold they have nothing to anchor onto that is a very potent example i feel like of the concept we were just described great point a great point i hadn't thought of that and the and it's such a good container because as you say the more we know about skin and how it works and the more we know about bones and how it works the more we'll understand what's going on with scripture you know it's it's it's, yeah. it's, it's endless it doesn't just stop it's not a simple kind of throwaway analogy like well, let's say the United States is this salt shaker, and let's say Europe is this, you know, plate. No, yeah. no, it, it it actually is. It functions like skin, and like bones, and so on. That's and that's the difference between a correspondence and a metaphor. I would say, is that yes, a metaphor right. usually you're using things because they have a characteristic, but there's a certain point at which it stops. Like in in your example there. Okay, we'll say that that this, this country is like a salt shaker, this country is like a plate, but it's not that the country really shares anything in common with that salt shaker. Even Nothing. if you go on to something that's a little more applicable, if you say, okay, well, you know, this, I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but you, you have a right. certain stopping point where it's not every characteristic of the thing no. you're comparing it to harmonizes with, with its nature, but it, with skin and bones, it really is. Like you can, as you said, you can learn about that forever and you learn more about the nature of the interaction between the internal mm. external sense of the word. How could you not be entertained by that? Very cool. Now, third seed. Let's talk about more about the roles of the literal and the internal meaning. And this is again- Okay, okay. Good, good, good. In sacred Everything has a yeah, function, right? Who would not want to hear about that? A body yeah. of teaching made up of genuine truth can actually be drawn entirely from the literal meaning of the word. Because in that meaning, the word is like a clothed person whose hands and face are bare. Which is important. He's statement. doing it again. <laughs> well, it's important. To, it's to say, look, even though there's this deeper meaning, one function of the literal meaning is that you can put together something that works with just a literal meaning. I mean, this, this is something that's been practiced all over the world. There's a lot of there are a lot of messed up religious systems that use right. stuff from the Bible, but there's a lot of good ones that that lead to love of the Lord and love of the neighbor. And as Swedenborg describes, can can be a great pathway for you to get into heaven. There is that material there. It's it mm. works even if you don't believe in or 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 dig into the the inner sense. You can be living by what the inner sense teaches just by studying the outer sense. Because there's certain parts where Jesus is talking about love one another, uh, two great commandments. That's where what the spirit of the inner sense is shines through just like you got these hands and face you can see it even if someone's clothed there are times it's so clear you know love your neighbor you know uh do good to those who you know mistreat you or something like that well and look what he says um, here everything yeah. that has to do with how we live and therefore with our salvation is bare while the rest is clothed makes you wonder what the rest is i mean i guess it's yeah. deep knowledge about life after death or, or something, but yeah. Right. Right. And in many places where the meaning is clothed, it shows through like a face seen through a thin veil as the truth. Okay. The so world. go ahead. Go, go. I was just saying that. It, it, so we start here with the hands and face are bare, but now you they're starting as well that you can actually see through the clothes under certain circumstances. Yeah, that's right. And I'd say just stepping back for a second, the fact that we're doing this over Zoom and that we've been interrupting each other and kind of, oh, no, you go, you go as little as we have is pretty impressive. <laughs> That's good. I mean, I mean, we're, we're pulling this off, which is pretty impressive. Okay. <laughs> as the truths of the word are multiplied by being loved, and in this way they gain coherence, in this way gain coherence, they shine through their clothing more and more clearly and become more visible. Mm. Now, did you catch that? It's that as the truths of the word are multiplied by being loved and in this way gain coherence. So you, anybody, you might think, oh, there's this archaic uh, labyrinthine, labyrinthine route to getting to the internal sense. You have to go and find some Swedenborg and then go through all these strange teachings and then you get the secret of this universally accessible thing, the Bible. He's and, saying, and you should probably learn Greek along the way or something. You know, yeah, yeah ex exactly. But here he's saying the way to get to the internal sense is loving what the word teaches. So the more you mm. take those hands and face 
passages that talk about loving others and take those to heart and love them, it starts to, in you, give you a sense of what the internal sense is really talking about. That's why we get so many people, you know, coming to this channel that, that say, oh, I always felt like that's what that, the Bible was saying there. Right. You know, that exposure to Swedenborg in particular. It, it rings true. Yeah, right. It, 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 uh, it aligns or resonates at a deep level. The reason we have union with the Lord through the word is that the word is entirely about him. The reason we have companionship with angels of heaven through the literal meaning is that within the literal meaning, there are spiritual and heavenly levels of meaning. And those levels are the ones on which angels are focused. Whether or not the word is the word, check this out, depends on our comprehension of it. That is on how we understand it. Because as I was describing before, you can have somebody who's well-versed in the Bible and is even aligning certain precepts of their life around statements in the literal meaning, and yet is not acting in love to the Lord and love to the neighbor, is doing things that are harmful to the human race. It doesn't Just because you've got it doesn't mean you understand it. And you understand it by loving, actually loving the message of goodness and truth that the Lord is putting in there. If as far as I know, it, it's uh, hundreds of years ahead of... Um you know, sort of modern theories of reading where it's what the reader brings and that you shape the text, you know, right. uh, but he, he, he's, he's saying that, you know, back in the 18th century, uh, that, that what you bring to it, uh, how much you love it, um, you know, how much you comprehend it uh, has, has a big impact. If we do not understand it, we may, of course, call it the word, but for us, it's not the word. The word is truth depending on how it is understood. For the word can be non-truth. It can be distorted. Whoa. And that's important. It, just, it doesn't mean that because the Bible's got so much good stuff going on, it doesn't mean that anybody who has a bit of it printed out, you have to listen to what they're saying. The word right. is spirit and life depending on how we understand it. For the letter is dead if it is not understood. Further still, we need to realize that the literal meaning of the word serves to protect the real truths that lie hidden within it. Its protection consists of its being susceptible to being turned in different directions and interpreted to agree with our own grasp of it so that the inner content is not damaged or transgressed. It does no harm if different people understand the literal meaning of the word differently. It does do harm, though, if the divine truths that lie hidden within are distorted. This, in fact, does violence to the word. To prevent this from happening, the literal meaning offers protection. So it's like something that has two parts I mean, it's kind of a dumb analogy, but I was just thinking about the bumper of a car or something, but, but things that have two parts so that one part, uh, you know, could be adversely affected and that still wouldn't hurt the other part. You know, it's an interesting argument right. about why have two layers and why not just throw out the outside? Oh, the outside is really useful too. Right. You know, um, right. And this is protection both for, if, if you are harmed by people who are using the external sense in a bad way, this is a way that you don't have to get rid of the entire word because you can be taught, oh, they didn't know what it meant. And right. if you're somebody who is mistaken about the external sense of the word, it, it, if you're doing it for, in good faith, but you just don't get it, it protects you because you're not actually destroying your ability to understand the truths, the, the actual right. truth there. You're just attaching ideas to external parts. So if you keep that love in your heart, you'll be all right. That, that's what the Lord is constantly trying to do is make sure that everybody has safe access to, to good truth. That's right. So that, there we go. That's the, that's the point of the word is to connect all of us to what's good and true and healing and loving. And we've done a lot of con conceptualizing along the way. So I think it's time to let us settle. Let's take a little breather through our correspondences meditation. So there's this cool part in the Bible, in the literal sense of the Bible, where it says that the Lord will come in the clouds of heaven with glory. Hmm. It's like a nice sounding thing, but let's think about if he's using, why is he using clouds as an image there? This is talking about God's presence in the world. So hmm. the clouds, the clouds in this case are the literal sense. And the glory is the internal sense that can shine through. We're going to do a meditation where we look at imagery of light shining through clouds. 
And think about that interplay because when there's no clouds, it's great. The sun is out, it's fun, but there can be a level of beauty that comes with light getting illuminating clouds and shining through the clouds. And I think it can touch us in, in cer at certain times even more deeply. And this is a picture of the Lord touching the deeper levels of our hearts and minds through the external internal sense shining through the external sense. So this is when we get a sense of what's really deep within there as we explore. So relax, let everything fall as it may in your mind and let's look at some beauty. Not, not too many things look better than some real good glory shining down through clouds. I just, that's I right. Just get you every time and cool mm -hmm. to think about why does that move us so much that it could be this picture of the Lord reaching us through these means and really peeling back the confusing outer layer. And that's the same thing on life when it seems like, why is everything like it is? Why are we on this strange journey? But to then see the light and love at the core of it, it's a powerful mm. experience. So mm. with that chance to process, Jonathan, just looking back over this whole episode, everything we talked about, what would you say is the takeaway here? What, what can we take with us? I, I guess what I find myself taking away from it is just this image of multidimensional communication. This idea of Jesus communicating to angels and people at the same time in a way that will be helpful that will bring the worlds together. Uh, that image of heaven on earth through the word, through the things that, that Jesus said and through the Old New Testaments, through scripture, you know, revelation. Um, I love that idea. And so it seems a kind of a flat and lifeless to say, oh no, it's only what's on the outside here. No, you're missing this whole whole dimension to it of what was what was going on if you don't have that yeah awesome great thank you for that everyone thank you for watching don't forget to like and subscribe if you haven't already just a friendly reminder we are going to tell you what's coming up on our channel but first a brief video on how you can make what we're doing here possible we want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone anytime they need them as a nonprofit. We depend on donor support to continue to create high-quality programming. This season, we're featuring the opportunity to support our newly established endowment fund for Off the Left Eye. Consider your ability to be a part of our growing family by going to otle.causevox.com today to make a one-time or recurring donation. Your support helps the ideas in our content reach and nourish thousands of people every day around the globe. We couldn't do it without you. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through in this way, in the end, everybody wins. Okay, yeah, and because of your support, we're able to continue to make programming and we're gonna make it and make it like we mean it. We've got News From Heaven coming up Thursdays and Saturdays as always. On Thursday, British Royal Society spirits discuss an angel-generated bird. An How obvious kind of topic. Yeah, that's right. It's, right. it's a bland, generic, video i know everybody has a video on that i know but <laughs> yeah it's crowded crowded marketplace saturday spirits and angels use imagery when they speak 
Then we move on to our short clips on Wednesday, what it really means that Jesus takes away the sins of the world. Hey, we're getting more into the, 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 the story of Jesus and the teachings there and the inner meaning. And then on Friday, the deeper meaning of the New Testament Easter story, because Easter uh, is timely. So much. Or so Look at this. This is what we have to do this show, because so often we are talking about the meaning of the, the internal meaning. You've got to have the, the framework set up so that we understand why it's there and what it's doing. Then that's right. The next Monday, we'll be doing our good question show where we're taking time to answer questions that are coming from all of you. Thanks so much for asking and caring in the first place. And then the following Monday, we'll continue with our Swedenborg and Life series on the divine design, where we talk about how the pattern of God has been built into the universe. Can't wait to see you there for those things. Jonathan Rose, thanks so much for hanging out. It's been a blast, Curtis. Uh, it, I've, I've really learned a lot from this show. It's been awesome. It's been a great journey. Hopefully all of you at home agree. And if you don't, just keep it to yourself. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I uh, appreciate getting to have all of you here. Hope you have a great, safe, happy week. Swedenborg and Life Live is Curtis Childs, host and showrunner with co-host Jonathan Rose. Live stream tech and graphics by Stuart Farmer and Matthew Childs. Show writing and chat moderation by Karin Childs and Chelsea Odner. <laughs>